This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. Rachel Blaney, the Member of Parliament for North Island Powell River, gave Cortez Currents an overview of the important issues this past year and the effect being our MP has had on our personal life. Last year, I guess, the big issues were really responding a lot to climate change. I think people were really startled by seeing some of the big fires that were happening within BC and the long-term impacts. I noticed a huge intake of people really reaching out to the office and wanting to know what we're going to do and how we were going to behave differently. It was sort of an interesting process because it allowed me to talk about my motion in the House of Commons, Motion 53, where I just really outline some of those key issues, especially for rural and remote communities. We literally saw a small community completely burned down over the summer. So just talking about how are we going to start reviewing what we're going to do, what kind of actions we need to take, how are we going to look at our economies and how they're changing and how are we going to adapt to that at the same time? I think those are conversations that will continue to go. And we definitely saw that during the election this year as well. Another big issue, of course, was the election itself. A lot of people were frustrated. Folks were still dealing, and we are still dealing with COVID and the impacts of COVID. A lot of uncertainty around our healthcare system. A lot of uncertainty about jobs and what this means for everybody. Tourism in our region is huge, and definitely to have an election during a time where we would usually be doing a lot of tourism was really frustrating. We'll have to see what that ends up looking like in terms of action. But I think at the end of the day, it is frustrating that we still have a system that allows the governing body in a minority government to pull the plug basically whenever they want to. And I think when Canadians send in a minority, they're telling us that we have to figure it out. We have to work together. And the Liberals have three different parties to work with. Sometimes the Conservatives support them in legislation. Sometimes the bloc supports them in legislation and sometimes the NDP supports them in legislation. I think minority governments uh, are more reflective of what Canadians want to see and hear. So we've been sent back, but it sure cost us a lot of money in a time when I would wish that we would spend the money a little more wisely. A couple of things to close off the year, of course, uh, the last six months of, of 2021 was really around identifying vulnerable groups that were going to be punished by uh, having money clawed back because of the the CERB and the CRB and frustration about that. But having the government change the program so that it was a little bit harder for people to access money when they desperately need it. And we see right now through interviews that I'm seeing with the Prime Minister and with the Deputy Prime Minister, Finance Minister, they're really stretching their definition of that funding so that people can access it because it's like they weren't expecting us to go through another challenging time like we are right now with COVID. And then, of course, we know seniors who were working seniors, and, and I know we've talked about this already, so I won't go on forever, but it's so important that so many of them are still reaching out to my office. They really thought that they were going to get some support and now are being told that it's coming. We have a lot of seniors who have lost their homes, that are living in vehicles, that are couch surfing in their 80s. Well, this is just not an acceptable solution. Parents who took advantage of this program because they could not work because their workplace was either not safe 
or was shut down are seeing their child tax benefit clawed back as well. Creating more poverty in the poorest groups across our country should not be our solution to a pandemic. It's not helpful at all. When you come from small communities, stories can be very easily identifiable. And I don't want to put anybody in a position who may not want their story shared, but I can say that definitely from some of the smaller communities, we have heard calls, both from seniors and parents who are getting their child tax benefit clawed back. And so we're working with those families. And it is just really precarious, especially in rural and remote communities. Stability matters everywhere. I can't dismiss it from a larger center either, but people have figured out how to live a decent life based on the income that they have. And it just does not make sense to me that we would ask the whole point, especially of the child tax benefit, is to make sure that children are not living in poverty. That is the measurement tool. And that we would measure that based on something that was short-term, that was in response to a pandemic, that the government would not look at the fact that things were just more expensive and are more expensive during the pandemic. There's more need to be careful to buy things that will help you maintain your health. You may need to get food delivered to you in one way or another, and that can be asking a neighbor to pick up an order and drop it off or or having a company do that work for you, depending on where you're located. Those things all add up. And so it is frustrating for me uh, to see that. And then also to see At the same time, people who don't live in our riding, who are big corporate shareholders or management teams getting huge bonuses, getting payouts, and they're also having a a business that is getting the 75% wage subsidy. We don't see the government clawing that back and saying, actually, if you had that much money to pay out to shareholders, we're actually going to make sure that you pay back some of that that 75% of the wage subsidy that we gave you, because that doesn't quite meet the smell test. That is frustrating. And I think uh, that is something that I've articulated personally to the finance minister and also in the House of Commons, that this is just not fair and it's not right. We really need to look at our systems to make sure that we don't see that happen. And then, of course, another big issue in our riding that will has been a big issue and will continue to be a big issue is that, of course, of the fish farms and the licensing and the tenures. Over the next few years, we're going to see some significant changes there. So that has definitely been a very hot topic in our riding on both sides. And we continue to maneuver that. And, and of course, I've been very clear since before I was elected in 2015 that we need a transition plan to move fish farms on land. And I do believe the government needs to step up and support that process. And now that the Discovery Island decision has been made, I have continued to push uh, now two different ministers to make sure that there's resources on the ground for workers to support the transition. And I think that also flows into what we're seeing in our whole region, of course, around wild salmon and the deterioration of those populations and a lot of concern. Um, So the federal government, of course, has announced a significant amount of resources to support rehabilitation, but we're still not seeing how that's going to roll out in a very clear and functional way. And it's something that cannot wait. So we're working on many fronts with different stakeholder groups and organizations to figure out what that's going to look like and how quickly that can be implemented and how we can make sure that whatever frame that the government takes includes a frame of of assuring that small communities will have access to resources and that jobs will be a part of that. 
there anything you can say moving forward into the next year, either in terms of possibilities or what needs to be done? Anything you want to add? Well, I think, you know, for me, after this last election, I really felt clearly that I was sent uh, to Ottawa with a, a couple of clear mandates. One was make sure that there's equitable resources around COVID so that we can see our communities be stable during these times and, and be prepared to grow when the time is right. The other thing that I heard loud and clear is housing is a crisis. And I know that if it's people who are trying to buy housing, if it's people who are trying to rent housing, if it's people who have nowhere to live and are looking for somewhere to live, if it's people who've given up even looking for somewhere to live and are either living in really substandard situation or not even in a home living on the streets, this is such a huge concerning issue. And we've seen in our region, of course, a lot of housing costs go up substantially in the North Island specifically. I think of, they're saying about 50% on average, like in one year, seeing house costs go up that much. We know that people that own housing that they've been renting, a lot of them have been selling because it's such a hot market. So this is something that I feel very clear that it's is a crisis point for our region. It's a crisis point across across Canada, obviously. So that's why already I've introduced a private members bill on the right to housing. It's something that I've done in the past and I wanted to bring it back because again, my goal is really to get the federal government to have accountability. The bill changes the bill of rights in Canada. And what that means is that we can actually hold the government to account if housing starts to become insecure. So it's not going to fix anything today. I recognize that. We're doing a lot of other things as a party to try to fix those problems uh, right now. But it's about saying this needs to stop and we should never be in this situation again. So what are the structures that we need to put in place to make sure that the federal government is always watching And if the federal government had been watching this across the country in a meaningful way, there would have been multiple solutions across the the path of years to make sure that we didn't get where we are today. Unfortunately, those weren't taken. So I'm fighting to see a lot more support given to rural and remote communities for housing, trying to make sure that the minister understands there needs to be flexibility. You know, some of our communities really need sustainable housing for people as they age. Some people want to see more housing around families, low-income people. They want to see supportive housing. There's a, a whole plethora that people are looking for, and I'm really trying to make sure that that is addressed. So housing is definitely one of the top things that I heard. Another thing, of course, and, and I've already mentioned it, Roy, is, is around climate change and around really having strategies that make sense in our area. There was a lot, of, we heard, I've heard a lot of people just saying, we want to have more time and resources to figure out what our local solutions will be. We want to see the emissions go down in our country. We want to see money stop going to oil and gas industries as subsidies, see that money going into things that are going to create solutions. Those are all things that I'm fighting for. And we need that level of a accountability to go up. And when we're seeing the outcomes, like just living through the past few weeks, seeing the snow like we've never seen before, see how many communities have lost power, been without power for a substantive amount of time, 
access to those communities very hard because of, of the weather. I mean, these are all signatures that we have been told by scientists that we should be watching for and they're happening. So for me, that is something that I feel uh, very passionate about, but we can't leave people behind either. So that is something that I also want to be mindful, especially as a rural and remote community. A lot of our work, whether it's done here or away and people return here is in the resource-based economies. We need to figure out how we're going to transition and work with those folks. We cannot leave people behind. So it's going to be difficult times, but I think it's an important one that we should all be putting our minds to. And local solutions are really important because we need to look at how we're going to create jobs in our own region as well to make sure that people can stay closer to home and have something that will subsidize them and give them enough to live off in a meaningful way and not be in deep The other issue that came up again and again in the conversations, and and again, a weird election where I knocked on some doors, but not as many as I usually do and spend a lot more time on a phone. That was really strange for me. But I heard again and again about it's time to make it right. And with Indigenous communities. We need to figure this out and we need to stop seeing the discrimination happen the way that we have. And, you know, a lot of people really mourning, I think that's the best way were to describe it. Mourning sort of their illusion of what Canada was when we started to find children buried outside residential schools. A lot of non-Indigenous people were talking to me during the election and even prior just saying how they felt about that, how traumatized they felt about that, how they couldn't even imagine what it would be like to be part of those Indigenous communities having that long history. And a lot of people who knew Indigenous people who knew that those children were there, maybe not the numbers, but they had heard stories passed down to them. Some residential school survivors have talked about seeing things uh, themselves when they were in residential school. Just across the board, really traumatizing and also really making Canadians feel a sense of discomfort being Canadian all of a sudden. And, and that was really powerful and people just want to make it right. They want land claims to be addressed. They want to recognize that reconciliation needs to be done more meaningfully. And there needs to be a sort of a reckoning with this country so that we can move on, but move on carrying the whole history and truth of the past. And I, so I, I know that's something that I'm really passionate about, really, you know, proud that I was part of the group that really pushed the Canadian version of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And now we need to figure out how that's going to be implemented in a meaningful way that is going to honour that history. And I've said this before, it has to be a history that all Canadians carry, not just Indigenous people. It is not the Indigenous history of of Canada, it is the colonial history of Canada as it was imposed upon Indigenous people. And I think it's really important that we start to recognize the difference of that and what that means. I was aware that we had to settle the land claims issue and the First Nations people were once denied the right to vote back in the 1980s. But that just wasn't the end of it. New revelations of injustice keep surfacing. People used to ask, how could the German people not have known how the Nazi regime was treating the Jews. There's a difference in scale. You don't hear about the mass murders, but in many ways our government's treatment of First Nations people is similar. The Canadian public's ignorance of what's going on isn't that different from what the German people were saying. 
it's, it is hard. And it was painful to have some of those conversations, especially with elderly Caucasian people, to be honest. I had some very powerful moments when we found the children in Kamloops first, and then it continued with just people not even knowing how to put this into their their worldview of themselves as Canadians and of our country. And I think it was painful, but I hope that the pain really opens up those doors. I have known people who were sterilized in residential school. I've known them. I've talked to them and heard their stories. This is happening. And sadly, it's still happening in Canada. You know, we heard about it. uh, There's a court case right now. I think it's in Saskatchewan where they're doing it, where multiple Indigenous women from a couple of those provinces have come forward and talked about being forced. You can't take your child that you just gave birth to unless you agree to be sterile. This is still there. And it's hard because I think people want to see all of them. We want to see one another as good people who would not harm someone, but it's still out there and we really need to unfold what those perceptions are and how insidious they are and how we can become blind. And it's important for us to, to acknowledge that and challenge that within ourselves. It, we must do that work. And you're right, when we look at Germany and we think, how did you not know? That's why it's so important that we stand up because if you don't stand up, the, it's a path. And if you want to go down it, the outcome can be really bad. And we all have to live with that shame as Canadians, but we can make it better. And that's something you know, I think of, there was one person from Powell River who was an older gentleman and he was really moved by this and had no idea. He knew about residential school, but he did not understand. He said, I thought it just a school. Like I thought it wasn't very nice that they took them away from their parents, but it's a school, boarding school. I've heard of that before. This really changed his world and he's really done some good work in his own community, reaching out to Indigenous people, trying to help and having an active campaign to remind the Prime Minister that this is something that he's dedicated to seeing fixed in his lifetime. It's it's a painful thing, but I also hope that it moves people and I hope we don't stop. I mean, it's sort of like old news in a way, and we have to really push ourselves to remember that this is still happening. There are still people looking uh, for children. I remember talking to a, a chief within our region who has a residential school. Everybody's going to know what community was in their community and just talking about you can't just start looking for kids. You got to reach out to the communities that had their children forced to our school and make sure that how we do it is respectful to all of those folks and all of those communities. This is a very stressful time. It is a very careful time that has to be done with a lot of respect. So I hope that we just remember that reconciliation is is hard work and it's constantly pushing ourselves when we have an assumption to push through that assumption to see if there's more we can learn. The last question was, uh, as our MP, what's the impact of your being our MP had on your family? I'm in my seventh year and I just can't believe how fast time goes by. One of the parts of COVID that I appreciate, there's a lot I I don't appreciate about COVID, but one of the parts I did appreciate was I actually got to physically be home more. 
And it was really nice just to see in my household the day in to day out of, of their of their lives and, and how much that I'd missed. I really did recognize because we have a pretty big riding and my history since I've been elected, of course, is to come home, say hi to my family, and then off I go <laughs> to go somewhere else to, to see people or even leave. You know, I live in Campbell River, go out and, and do a bunch of events before I get to, uh, to come home to my family. So for sure, it's a bit of a challenge. You are in Ottawa half of the year. And I don't know that people know that we're away that often, but we really are. So we miss a lot in our families and in our communities physically, just because we have to be away. So being home was was different. It was definitely hard to wake up so early every morning because I was on Ottawa time a lot. And so (laughs) I would be up at like four in the morning and by 4.30, the world was already very busy. I remember a lot of times sitting in parliament at seven, you know, 6.50 a.m. I'm sitting (laughs) in front of my computer ready uh, for a day in the house. And and my whole family had to adjust to that uh, as well. And then, of course, by eight o'clock, I'm toast. I'm so tired. And and they were like, let's do things. You're home. (laughs) It's so nice to see you. And I'd be like, I'm going to bed. So, you know, being an MP is weird. And, And it also means that your family doesn't get the same sort of privacy either. People know who you are. They know who your mom is or your wife is. And, and people have a lot of curiosity about that. And sometimes it's really fun curiosity. And sometimes it can be, you know, angry curiosity. And that can be hard for, for your family at times. But I'm just so grateful. All of my family has been relatively supportive and really took it on. And understand that for me, this is just really a passion to fight for people I care about. And even when I don't agree agree with people, and that does happen sometimes, I still do my best to listen and find the places that I can fight for them. And I've really appreciated my family's support for me to do that. Actually, there's another aspect to that too, in a sense, there's more than one politician living in the Blaney household. (laughs) How does that work out? I don't know what's wrong with us. (laughs) Well, it's kind of funny because I remember when Darren was running uh, to become chief, he was council on council prior to that. And he had been chief before. And I was thinking, geez, I'm in, in this role. How interesting. So I remember making an appointment with the previous ethics commissioner and just said, you know, my husband's planning to run for chief. Is there any conflict that we should be aware of? Anything that we should should do? And and she felt that there was not really anything. She just said, you know, basically you have to provide the same services for every person who's a leader within your community, which I, I'm happy uh, to do. Although my husband sometimes says I'm not as nice because <laughs> I question more, right? I'm like, well, I don't know if I should do that for, you know, so we figured out what's so far been pretty good. We have very different jobs that we do. And if there's anything that feels uncomfortable, we just make sure that we sort of are, are mindful of that. Uh, for sure. But yeah, it is funny to have different politicians and people tease us a lot about who's the senior politician. Is it the chief of a community or an MP? And I kind of get a kick out of that. But I I think that the best part for us personally is we really understand the amount of work that's required to do this work. And we're both doing it. So we're so busy that we don't have a lot of time to be annoyed that the other person is busy all the time because we are both uh, busy all the time. 
doing the work that needs to be done for our communities, but they are very different. I have to say, you know, my husband has to worry about somebody's broken fridge and then how to negotiate an agreement for a business. It's a, it's a different range uh, than mine. Thank you very, very much. Is there anything you want to add before we go? I don't know if anybody will think it's kind of funny, but one of the hardest parts for me being MP is how hard it is on my dogs. <laughs> I, I have two dogs and so they stay at home. I do not bring them to Ottawa because I would never be able to even see them because when you're in Ottawa, you work crazy hours. But, you know, I have to say my kids adapted, my husband adapted and my dogs have figured how to survive it, uh, but they really struggle. <laughs> <laughs> they miss me a lot. And I remember, you know, when I first got elected, I had a dog that has passed away since I got elected. And we were trying really hard because we were very close. And, and I talked to him on FaceTime once. <laughs> Isn't this silly? And he actually pulled a bunch of his hair out after that because he just missed me so much and seeing me didn't so we had to stop doing that because it stressed him out. It's it's kind of interesting, the things that when I was running, I never thought about the impacts it would have on another being. And my poor dogs, are they make my heart happy, but they certainly have adjusted, but it was challenging. You've been listening to Rachel Blaney, Member of Parliament for North Island, Powell River, give us a glimpse into her personal life, as well as the important political issues of 2021. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye.